As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, 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 it's the first episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Americans edition, without Craig Custance. It's taking a very suspiciously time vacation we're getting a little close to canada day for for my taste but whatever brought in a more than capable replacement in ryan clark ryan is the beat writer for the seattle kraken he's a great dude those are those are two reasons to have him on but most of all i think the reason jeff our producer wanted to book him was to do a wellness check on ryan who is in the seattle area i don't know if you guys have been paying attention but it's like 200 degrees there just wanted to make sure Ryan was okay. I, I, I care about him as a friend and a colleague, and it's it's good to see his face and uh, be able to confirm that he hasn't melted in his in, in his home over the last couple of days. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Hey, thank you for having me and for your concern. All I will say about all this is this. The fact that Custance is not here, it's almost kind of like Falcon and Winter Soldier because like everybody looks at Craig as Captain America. And uh, yeah, now that like Captain America's gone, it's like, who will carry the shield? Will it be like his long haired friend with the beard or will it be his buddy <laughs> Sam that he met later on in life? Uh, and I also share something else in common with Sam Wilson too. Uh, we're both tall. But, uh, but <laughs> this, yeah. yeah. And I, I share another thing in common with, with, with Bucky Barnes is that we're both short. That dude is that, that dude lies about being five ten. I, I know, I know it when I see it. If this, if this ends with my nickname being the white wolf, I, I know, I know we'll have done something right here for sure. <laughs> So there you go, Craig. You've been compared to Captain America <laughs> on your day off. I mean, there's it. Like I said, I mean, Craig's Craig works harder than anybody. It's a it's a well a well deserved vacation for him. But there is a lot there is a lot to talk about. We have coming off Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals. Obviously, it's a five one win for the Lightning. 
uh, they broke the dam in the in, in the third period last night. I think that was my big takeaway. God knows we're we're gonna talk about talk about that a lot more. We have Nate Thompson is our guest. We're pretty psyched about that. Nate's God, he's played 811 NHL games. I, I had to look that up. He's a uh, he's an Anchorage, Alaska native. He's been a staple of a lot of really good teams over the years, and has played for the Canadians and the Lightning. So he's in a kind of a unique. Uh, a unique position to to talk about what's what's gone on here, but obviously, you know, we're going to start with the game, Ryan. I, I know, I know you watched it. I know you were, you know, somewhere crouched under whatever, <laughs> away from away from windows and vents and and, and whatever else. But where, where were your big takeaways coming coming out of that one? You know, it goes back to something our Arp and Basu wrote early this morning, I guess, late last night, depending on your time zone. Which is, you think about all the things the Montreal Canadiens have done to get to the cup final and where they've excelled. The Lightning did those things, but they were better. You look at the net front presence the Lightning had. They were always there, but on the flip side of that, they were able to find ways to take the Canadians away from the net front. And it's already going to be hard enough to get goals against Andre Vasilevsky, but the way they played last night, they made it easier for him to stop those shots. But then, Yes, we talk about things like the net front and we talk about how the, both those teams have size and how we saw that play an advantage. But then it's just skill as well. And, and what I mean by that is you look at the goal Kucherov had and where he was set up at the faceoff, just r- almost directly behind the center. Right. They win possession and he gets a clear shot on net from the slot. And it's like, A, that's a place you don't want anyone in this league shooting from, but B, especially him. And so when you look at all those things, it's just like, yes, it was about as complete of a performance as it gets. But at the same time, we have seen the Lightning do this in the last round and we saw the Islanders come back. And if, if there's anything we've learned, Sean, and then we'll kind of get your thoughts on it. It's, it's just one game and it's the Montreal Canadiens. And at this point, there is no reason to believe why they still can't come back and make this a series. I mean, we'd be stupid to write off the Canadians, right? I feel like I've come close to doing it more than enough times over the course of of the last few weeks. So I'm I'm fighting myself. I feel like you're kind of in the same spot. Like I'm fighting the urge to look back on that third period, you know, and be like, "This is this is this is a gentleman's sweep, right? This is gonna be this is gonna be four or five games." Like that's that's my sincere gut reaction coming out of that, and I think a lot of it is because. You know those first those first two periods were were fairly close. The the, the Habs pulled you know made it two one at the end there, but you know you look at how Tampa got their first two goals from Eric Chernak and 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 Yanni Gord. I mean you see secondary scoring like that early with that team, or tertiary scoring or whatever quatriary scoring. <laughs> if, it, if if you're if if you're Eric Chernak, they're getting goals from everybody, and you can expect you know. Stamkos is going to get his, right? And God knows Nikita Kucherov is going to get his. And Braden Point is is going to get his. So to see those first two periods, there was that sort of like asterisk where you're like, man, all right, the Habs are playing this about as, about as tight as possible, but, you know, the big boys haven't showed up. And then the third period rolls around and the big boys showed up. And they, they get that fifth goal. And I, I know I want to ask Nate Thompson about this too eventually, but that fifth goal – and I know by that point it was decided, right? Like it's the, the the outcome wasn't in doubt. But to see Tampa come out with an FU goal like that, 
against against a, a penalty kill that had however many consecutive su- successful successful tries, and to do it after Montreal had kind of start, it started taking some runs and and you know get getting involved in some extracurricular stuff, try to set a tone for game two, blah blah, all that stuff. To have Tampa come out and roll five forwards and just tic tac toe until in, until they scored was. That was that was the tone setter. That felt like something that's gonna that's gonna carry over, you know that because that that Tampa power play dude. I mean, especially especially if they decide to call cross checking every now and then, and, and Tampa gets two three opportunities in in a game, you know. It, it, I, again, this just all sort of builds builds up to me thinking it's gonna be a short one, and I'm trying to I'm trying to guard against that because I've I've felt that way about Montreal before. But man, that. That that last period, it's it, it, it's tough to have a takeaway. Other than that, well, that and you just wonder about the adjustments too. Because like, let's think about what Montreal has done to get to this point. The narrative against Toronto, where the Leafs were too skilled of a team, we saw how that series turned mm-hmm. out. Then it became the Jets are an extremely skilled team, and this is a series the Jets should win. We saw how that turned out. Vegas was one of the most skilled teams in the league, and you saw how that turned out. You're now going against what some people do consider to be the most skilled team in the league. And if they're not the most skilled, they're in the top two or three. So what do you do against a team like this? Because it's kind of a weird, maybe not weird, but the only way to really look at it, and this is probably going to make people like turn this podcast off forever. So sorry, Craig. But it's almost, I think I, but it's almost, I think I. But by the way, I think I've I think I've accomplished that multiple times over the last six weeks or whatever. So don't worry, but you're in, you're in good company there. But in some ways, it's almost kind of like when you're beating different sub bosses to get to the final boss, and like that final boss has like every single thing the sub bosses has, but better. And it's like Tampa has that. Like they can score, they can defend, they've got size. Like they don't just have goaltending. Like they have someone who can who can match with anyone's effort in the entire NHL. And it's like everything you've learned is now really about to be tested, not that it wasn't before. So the adjustments that they're going to make, that's where it's going to be critical because, again, we've seen the Canadians be able to come back from not just one game down, but at least two in some instances to win a series. So to see what happens, yes, it's going to be about the adjustments. But when you look at all the things they face, but more importantly, all the things the Canadians have done to get to this point, the Lightning can do those things. And not only can they do those things, but they can do those things at a level that a lot of teams in this league wish they could aspire to on a consistent basis. Tampa's fully functional, man. Like they're, you know, they don't have, oh God, the the sickle hanging over their head that that the Toronto Maple Leafs had. They don't have the first game injury to, to John Tavares, right? And then you look at the Jets, and they were they were kind of a fraud from the jump. And then they then they lose Mark Shifley for four games to to suspension. I don't want to take anything away from what from what Montreal did against Vegas because that series was great. But you know, we what we've seen is a lot of breaks go Montreal's way, and then you see Carey Price shorthands you know, shorthanded saving percentage their way to, to series wins. And that's awesome. And that's not to take anything away from it, but that's also a, that's also a tough way to live. You can't, you can't rely on luck and you can't necessarily rely on superhuman goalie performances every night and dap to the Canadians for getting this far, I suppose. But man, it just feel, it feels like, it feels like we're approaching the end and I'm going to end up, you know, I'm sure I'll end up 
having to eat crow over this because I've because I've done it before, but it was impossible to turn off that TV last night and not think like, okay, all right, this is this is it. Uh, the other big story yesterday, and this is everyone's everyone's favorite event always, is the the Gary Bettman slash Bill Daly uh, state of the NHL press conference, and we can run through a couple. A couple, a couple things there. We're getting an 82-game season, 22 All-Star game in Las Vegas. I'm psyched for the athletic NHL death match to see who actually gets to cover that one. 2022 Winter Classic will be in Minneapolis uh, at Target Field, which is where the Twins play. <clears throat> It'll feature the Blues playing the Wild. And we get another outdoor game in Nashville with the Preds against the Lightning. Um... I guess we can say and it's $5 million, so your mileage may vary on that. But the NHL will invest $5 million in diversity and inclusion programs over the next 18 months, so yay. Uh, what we didn't hear was any real... Uh, didn't hear much on the Chicago Blackhawks scandal, which is something that Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers have done a lot of good reporting for us. Rick Westhead at TSN has been has been great there too. Um, and look, Gary, Gary Bettman's a lawyer. Like he's, he's, he's going to speak like a lawyer. It's his, it's his defining, it's his defining trait. But you know, again, it was, that was a, that was a bummer to see last night. There was, there wasn't, there, there wasn't much. I, I, I didn't expect much. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I got. And I was, I was wondering if, it, if you, if you had any thoughts there too. The thing is, you weren't really expecting to hear much because like you no. said, some of it goes back to the fact you look at Gary Bettman's background, but also, some of it too goes back to the fact that leagues are going to be extremely cautious with what they say, how they say it, especially something of this magnitude, which when you look at the reporting that's been done, whether it's been by our colleagues at The Athletic, whether it's in Rick Westhead at TSN, it's all exceptionally damning. And not only is it exceptionally damning, but while you know the people who are involved, you don't know exactly the length to which it is, like how many people are involved. Like, you have an, like we have an idea of who the central characters are, but we don't know how much this expands, if, if that makes sense. And with that being said, if you're the NHL, yes, you're going to say something, but you also have to be very careful about what you say. And as far as the investigation itself, what ends up happening with this over the next several weeks to months, it, it's going to be really, really interesting from this standpoint. Like, what what do the Chicago Blackhawks do next? Like like what like what do they do next with that organization? It's a well timed announcement of the investigation too, right? Because we've heard that we we've it was yesterday, I think, you know, on on Monday when news broke that it was that it was going to take place. I mean, that was helpful. <laughs> if you're Gary Bettman, you can say, oh, well, hey, we're we, there is an independent investigation, and we're just going to lean on. Lean on, lean on what on what we found there. So that's yeah, that's um, I guess that's really that's really all all you can hope for at the, at this point is that the league does does take the investigation seriously and and does kind of internalize uh, whatever whatever comes out of it and, and and acts accordingly. And yeah, I I didn't you know you don't expect Batman to say much much of if if anything in situations like that. But again, it's um, it's a it's a it's a frustrating thing, and and we're gonna have to just kind of continue continue watching how, how it uh 
how it plays out. I'm sure, I'm sure there, there'll be more reporting. That's, that's the one thing we can count on between, between our colleagues and then Rick Westhead. I know Emily Kaplan's done a lot at ESPN. This is being covered the way that, the way that it should be covered. So I, I do take some kind of solace there that, you know, people are going to have, uh, have information as, as we can get it. Um, the other, okay, so the other, the other bits to come out of uh, the the State of the Union situation, we're back to announcing outdoor games. Like I said, we're getting one in Minneapolis and we're getting one in Nashville. Um, I feel like those are the next kind of showcase cities, right? To to get to get outdoor games. I think that's always. That's always the debate whenever we're talking about whether it's Stadium Series or Winter Classic or or whatever. Everyone's tired of seeing <laughs> the Penguins and the Blackhawks and who, who whoever else. Like there's a there's a, a very small revolving door there. It is kind of cool to see, if only for the local fan bases, right? Like I, it's important to Predators fans to to have something like that. And whenever the Hurricanes get one and and, and whatever, and it, it's good to see these things kind of still continue to be showcase events uh, for for local for local kind of markets, right? Well, the thing is this, you know, you're the NHL and you've talked so much about growing your game. And one of the things that people have brought up now that you're going to be getting a new TV deal with ESPN and Turner is, are you going to break away from the shift that was seen on NBC, which was, it was some culmination of Bruins, Rangers, Flyers, Penguins, Capitals, Blackhawks, mm-hmm. and Red Wings. Now, yes, you did see teams like the Blues. You were starting to see more teams like the Vegas Golden Knights. The Avalanche have had an increased role the last two seasons. But when you look at it, it's still a league that, and it's strange to say, while you see the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're not being hit over the head with the defending champions, much like in the NBA, when the Lakers win, they're always on TV. Even when they don't win, the Lakers, the Celtics, those are teams that are on TV, the Knicks being another example. And so like when you're the NHL and you're having these serious conversations, especially in a year where you do have an expansion team and you're growing your foothold, not only within your league, but really in the Western part of the continent, like if you're then you have to realize like this makes sense for those reasons, but also look at the markets where you're having this. I mean, it's hockey in Minnesota. That's yes, the easy thing to say, but like when you look at how that city really, how that state, supports that team, the numbers and the passion are there. And all we keep hearing about Nashville is what feels like the last five years is like, not only is this an entertainment city, but it's a city that cares so deeply about the Predators, about hockey to the point where we saw what the Stanley Cup looked looked like there. It looked like a party. And not only that, but Uh. when you think about the fact that Tennessee State and the Predators have entered a partnership to explore the idea of getting a Division I hockey program at an HBCU, Like, these are all things that if you're the NHL, you look at and you have to sit there and say, it makes a lot of sense because you're seeing the game grow. Like, it's no different than one of last year's outdoor games at Lake Tahoe when you saw the Avalanche play the Golden Knights. I mean, say what you want about Nevada in terms of, like, it's just now being a hockey state. It's more than the Golden Knights. Like, youth hockey in that state is a serious thing, especially in Las Vegas. And then when you think about something like Lake Tahoe, like, yes, having a team in, the, in Nevada helps, but you've looked at that setting, and, of course, you take away everything with the sun that delayed the first game, <laughs> and you wonder, like, man, why didn't the NHL do this before? Because it kind of has everything you would want in the setting. 
Yeah, especially whenever the pivot kind of happened from the Winter Classic being like, you know, talk about 2008, 2009, whatever. For for a few years there, that was a national kind of event. But as we moved past it and it turned into more localized sort of stuff where it was a big deal for the teams and it was a big deal for the cities, you know, that's that was always what was confusing. I was like, why are, why are we still going back to Pittsburgh and Chicago and Philly and Boston and whatever? Let's get some of these other cities mixed in because it does create like a legitimate buzz. And it, say, it seemed like we were ramping up to that. Obviously we were uh, before, you know, before March of 2020. And now they can kind of hop back in and involve the Nashvilles and the Raleigh's and places like that because those fan bases want it and those in those cities want it and those teams certainly want it. So it is cool to see them get back on track. I, I wanted to ask you too about um you know a, a report from our from our buddy Sean Shapiro last night. He's he's on the ESPN NHL TV uh, coverage package. Um and there's some moves being made there. We got Chris Chelios joining on he's joining in a studio role. You know, he's obviously joining Ray Ferraro and Brian Boucher and guys like that. But they're gonna bring in Cassie Campbell Pascal. Uh Hillary Knight and Blake Bolden are also are also in conversations uh, about roles within their coverage. We have Messier, we have the ESPN holdovers. I was wondering what you thought of that of uh of the team that they're assembling there. Is it, is it cautious optimism? Is it like, why are they just bringing back hockey dudes from the nineties? Like what's, what's, what's your take on all that? Some of it is wait and see, but some of it too, is you look at what's worked in other leagues. And Mm -hmm. it seems like prior to this cycle, one of the things we've seen, whether it be from the NBA or the NFL and some degree major league baseball is you saw these hall of famers. If, and it's not hall of famers, players who were very close to getting to the Hall of Fame or at least exceptionally visible within their sport be these analysts and be these larger-than-life figures. It's why we talk about inside the NBA we do because, like, Kenny Smith was a venerable player that people knew in the NBA. Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal are Hall of Famers. And when you look at NHL coverage, at least when it comes to the male analysts you have because the women you have, like, yes, they are. Like, there's no question. Like, those are Hall of Fame, all-time greats, bar none. But when it comes to the players who played in the NHL, like you see people who have like played in the league for a long time, but none of them have really been what you would call like those Hall of Famers. Because usually it seems like those players either go into ownership or they go into the front office. So right, now, player development or whatever. Right, exactly. So now that you're seeing the likes of a Messier, the Achelio, uh, Wayne Gretzky with Turner, like it starts to make you wonder, like, what is this going to look like, especially in a sport where we hadn't really quite seen this in terms of NHL players. Yeah. I, you know, the, the thing about <laughs> the thing about Shaq and Kenny Smith, that's a, that's a funny point you made a made about Kenny Smith and not to, not, not to get off on a tangent here, but, but people younger than us know Kenny Smith as like the TV dude. And like you and I are old enough to remember when he was, you know, a, 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 a champ with the Rockets and winning dunk contests and stuff. So it is, it, it is funny to see him just kind of, age into the TV guy thing. The, the thing about them though, and whether it's Shaq or, or, or God knows Charles Barkley is that they're good at TV. And I hope, I hope, I hope that Messier and Chelios and Gretzky are also good at TV because if they're not, it's going to be a problem. Like I like the team that ESPN's building under those guys, you know, I, and again, Messio and Chelios are the, are the ESPN guys, 
bringing in, you know, Kevin Weeks and Brian Boucher and Ray Ferraro and all, all these, like, these are, these are all talented guys. Brendan Burke, like guys like that. They're, they're, they're good broadcasters. The top end of things is, is a little bit more unproven. Messi has been on TV before. It hasn't, didn't, didn't go particularly well. Um, yeah, it's a major, it's a major wait and see for, for, for me too. I get why they're doing it. I'm just not quite sure it's going to work out. I think that's enough for us here. We, we, we need to, we need to get to Nate. Uh, Nate Thompson's our guest. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we want to get to our interview with Nate Thompson. He's a free agent. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Center. He spent the last year with the Winnipeg Jets. He's got a lot of experience across the board with both of these teams that were seen in the cup final. The Jets swept the Oilers in the first round uh, and then lost to Montreal, of course. But before before he was a Canadian, where he played with Carey Price and Brendan Gallagher and Shea Weber and all these guys, he was there for two years. He was also teammates with Steven Samkos and Nikita Kucherov and Victor Hedman and a whole bunch of guys on that Lightning roster. Uh, and of course, he's an Alaska native. He played his junior hockey with the Seattle Thunderbirds. So Nate was great. Makes all the sense in the world to talk to him, not just because he's from Alaska, but because he knows he knows these guys. He knows a lot. He knows half the Canadians roster, and he was uh, teammates with really the the core of of the Lightning for for a few seasons there. So he was great. Lots of insight from him. Uh, we really appreciate his time, and we hope you enjoy it. It must have been a little bit of a weird experience for for you last night in Game One, right, dude? You're you're watching you're watching a lot of guys who who you've played with uh, face off there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's I don't know. I played so, for so many different teams now that uh, <laughs> I guess I'm kind of getting used to it. But um, yeah, I guess there's definitely a, a little bit of an emotional attachment to both teams because I played in Tampa for you know the longest than anyone in my career and. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was just playing in Montreal about a year ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, no, it's, it's tough. I don't really know who I'm rooting for. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's tough to watch. It's sometimes, you know, I, I catch myself watching the game and then sometimes I catch myself, you know, uh, I'll watch a little bit of it and then I'll walk away. So, uh, <laughs> that's just how it goes. So I'm curious. I mean, given that you're someone, you know, the system, you know, the personnel, of kind of what those teams do definitely tamper with its system. I mean, how do you like view those games? I mean, can you really view them as like a hockey fan or do you really find yourself playing analysts going like, okay, I see what they did there. It's this, this, and this, or like, of course he was going to make this move because I saw him do it in practice and I've seen him do it in the league several times. Like what's that like for you? It can be pretty fun. Actually. You know, I, I, I can, I think when I watch, 
you know, especially this time of the year, if I sit down, and I watch a game, I, I guess I kind of put on my scout coaching hat a little bit, you know, cause I've played in both organizations, uh, played for both coaches and kind of know the tendencies of each, you know, of each team and, uh, you know, and how they play. And you, I, I think I can almost see too, it being on each team, knowing if they have their A game or not, you know, watching, watching the game and knowing the way they need to play. And, um, you know, I, I think last night you saw, I mean, Tampa, you know, we look at them as this high octane offense, offensive team, but I think they're not really viewed as, uh, a defensive defensively responsible team. Like they are so good defensively and people, I don't think it would give enough credit for that. Um, you know, just because the way they, you know, way they forecheck the way their D gap up on, uh, you know, you know, opposing teams forwards and, um, you know, you saw that last night, uh, and as you make mistake against them, you know, they transition, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty good offensively. They have some pretty good players. So, um, you know, I, I think Montreal is going to have to play a pretty perfect game and not make too many mistakes against them to, to have some success. You know, I, I, whatever you, you, you brought up, you brought up Montreal, you were there for, for two seasons. I, I, everybody knows what a what a big role you played in the development of guys like Nick Suzuki and Evans and Kotkaniemi and stuff. But what what was what was it like? Uh, you know, kind of being the being the Sherpa for those guys, being being Uncle Nate in the room and all that all that all the all that stuff. Did, did did you know that those that those guys had it early on? And and what's it like watching them? You know, kind of uh, take that next step this this year. Yeah, it's a lot of fun watching them. I mean, you see. Uh, kid like Nick Suzuki you know he he was one of those kids when he got there that I knew he had it right away he just had this uh, swagger about him and this confidence and he enjoyed every second of every minute of being at the rink and soaking it all in um, you know and KK was another kid too you know KK is a little bit different where he's a fun loving kid, always kind of joking around, never, never really takes anything serious, which I think sometimes can be an issue, but for the most part, you know, I, I think he was, you know, it's, it's good too, because he's just loose and he just goes out there and has fun, but you could see the ability both of them had right away. And, and you knew that you knew that they were going to be a big part of the organization. And for me, you know, I think it was just kind of giving them some guidance um, like older guys did with me, um, just somebody just to go talk to them and just to let them know, Hey, like this is, right. you know, do this, do this here. Um, you know, just kind of guide them along. But, you know, for a guy like Nick Suzuki, he was one of those kids where I didn't really have to say much. He just, he, he, he got it right away. And you're seeing the impact these two kids are having on the team and, and how bright of a future they have. For the Montreal Canadiens, because Suzuki came into l- at least a little bit of a tough situation because he's the main dude coming back for Pacioretty, and you know there's a there's there's a, I'm sure there's a segment of the fan base that was that was pissed about that, but there w- it felt like the learning curve for him was 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 really really short. Like like he he came in and you know kind of made that trade make sense like pretty quickly. And is that I mean you you mentioned the swagger that he has, but I mean that's that's one of those deals too where you know, Pacioretty's doing his thing in Vegas. Suzuki's been great so far. 
and he was he was really great from the jump. Like, is that is that kind of swag that he has come coming in initially? Did that did that help? Did that help him uh, help him make an impact quickly? Yeah, I think so. I think you know he came out of junior the previous year when he won a Memorial Cup. Uh, I think he was MVP, uh, and you know he comes into training camp, and you could see the way he was. You know, he came into training camp not just to like be there. He was there to make the team. And he wanted mm-hmm. to come in and, and, like you said, make an impact. And he was young, and he he had his uh, growing pains early. And you know, fortunately, I got to play with him on my line for a good a good <laughs> yeah. chunk of the C- beginning of the season. Congr- congrats, congrats, man! <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it's some of the most fun hockey I've played. You know, especially mm-hmm. when I was in Montreal, just because you know everyone talks about, oh yeah, Nate helped. Nick so much. Well, well, Nick Nick helped Nate so much uh, in the first <laughs> first month and a half, two months playing with him. Uh, he was just such a smart kid, and uh, we had a lot of fun playing together. And you know, he was kind of figuring out. You know, I, I think kids when they come in the league, they kind of have to figure out uh, the ways of the league and you know, defensive right. side of it and just kind of get their feet wet. And he, and he really did in the first couple of months, he was figuring out, you know, every aspect of the game and it did not take him very long. I mean, I, I didn't have to tell him anything really. I mean, every now and then we would talk about stuff, but he, he knew when we, you know, when we would get back to the bench, he would point out a play to me and I'd point out a play to him. You know, it was one of those things where this, this young kid is, you know, well beyond his years. And, um, right. and he wasn't on my line. He wasn't on my line that much longer after that. So <laughs> the rest so, is history. So let's jump back to when you debuted in the NHL. How would you describe what it was like being a young player then with the responsibilities, the way veterans were sort of involved with your development compared to like now that you're in this role of being a veteran? Like how much has it changed in that regard or has it really changed considering we hear so much about how this league is getting younger each and every season? Oh, I think it's changed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a young man's game. Now you're seeing these kids are coming to the league from 19 to 23 and, you know, they're making a huge impact on their team. You know, when I came in the league, I think my first game, I was 22. It was a little bit different than, you know, the, the kids really weren't coming in and, and playing right away. Um, you know, I know, I think my first game, I think I played two minutes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of impact in that game. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's just different. Um, you know, you're looking at the way, like I said, the way these kids are, you know, they're kind of the, they're the team. You look at every player on each team in every franchise and, you know, their star players are all under 25 years old. And that's just the way the league's going. So, you know, the, the comparison is, is a lot different because when I first came in, there was a, you know, when, when I was playing with New York the Islanders, I think we probably had 10 guys over the age of 30. Yeah. You're lucky if you have over five now. So um, it's just a lot different the way the league's going. Yeah. And then you, and then you went to Tampa and you're playing with guys like, you know, Vinny and Marty and, and, and players like that who were, you know, they were still at a super high level, but they were in their thirties at, at, at that point too. Right. So yeah, it is, it is wild to see, you know, kind of, how that's changed. I, I'm I'm curious to ask you too, like as a as a PK guy, like when you watch 
the lightning <laughs> on the power play and you see what they did late like are are you like what do you what do you like what do you even do with that like when you when you watch that last that last one with five forwards out there and you got Kucherov doing like doing doing his whole his whole deal like what's what goes through your brain when when you watch that unit don't take a penalty <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was it. Thanks All right. for the athletic yeah, I, <laughs> That's yeah, it. I mean, it's uh, – I mean, there's a reason why that that, that power play is so deadly in May. Um, j- just the options, you know, I think it's – to kill against that power play is <laughs> – it's it's one of those things where you pick your poison. You know, who do you want to – you know, who do you want to give up? Do you want to give up Cooch? Do you want to give up Stanford? Do you want to give up Petty up top? They're all on their one timer side. Um, it's pretty much here's a here's a, here's a serious question. Do you do you try to force Kucherov to shoot? Like, do you try to take away the pass from him? Like, because then because then because then at the end of the day, if you do that, you still have Nikita Kucherov shooting the puck. I think the biggest thing is as a penalty killer killing against that that power play is you just don't want to give up seam passes. You don't want to give mm-hmm. up passes through the seam where the goalie has to go from side to side and a guy is shooting a one-timer. You want to make sure you keep the puck on one side of the ice and it's either a shot or a play down low and that's it. I mean, but these guys are the best players in the world for a reason and, you know, this is, this is what they do. So I, I think it's, you know, you got to limit their power plays first off. You know, you can't be giving them, you, you can't be giving them more than two power plays a night because as a guy like Cooch or uh, Stammer, those guys, you know, Hedy, like as a PK guy, and you, you know, you give a power play, uh, you give them n- numerous chances throughout the game. Right. As for them as an offensive guy, think about, you know, they're holding on to the puck, they're feeling good. You know, that gets them into the game. And then, you know, it, it can uh, it can go a lot worse for you after that. So, right. uh, I I think it's just the biggest thing about that power play is you're going to need your goalie to make some saves, and you're going to need to limit those seam passes and um, kind of the tic tac toe plays because uh, right. you want to keep the puck on one side of the ice because those guys will make you pay all night. And uh, you know, you kind of saw their you saw their skill set last night on display. <laughs> And you did, you did overlap with with it with Kucherov for that. For I think it was in twenty in twenty fourteen, or whatever it was when he when he came up. You know, he's a second round pick or whatever, a, a late a late second round pick. Did you have a sense that he was going to turn into this? Because we're putting him. I mean, he's got another another thirty point postseason that puts him in an insanely elite group. He's the third dude to ever do it. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a dumb question because there's no way for you to know that he was going to turn into this like world beater. But like, what did you see out of him early? Because you 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 did you did overlap a little bit there in, in Tampa. Yeah, well, another guy that was on my line for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, of course, this is we, we this is the theme. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just promote guys. That's what I do. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could see it. I remember when he was young and he came to camp, and there were some things he was doing as a young kid. Uh, I remember when we were watching. I'm like, who is that? Right. You know, he was doing these, you know, making these plays that no one else really could make, and he was doing he was doing it so fluidly and so smooth. You know, you watch him; he looks like he's almost floating on the ice out there the way he moves. And um, when he came up, um, yeah, you could see it. I mean, I could see it. I knew I knew there was something special there. Um, I, I think at the same time though. 
uh, Cooch is a guy that really, really works on his game. Like he works hard at his game. And you wouldn't, you would, people would never think that because they think, oh, it's like Kucherov, he's so talented. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what he has. But the guy really works at his craft. And, and you saw that even, even young at a young age when he first came in. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's one of the best players in the world. He's fun to watch. I mean, I, I love watching him out there. It's, uh, he makes it look so easy. Seems like the last few years we've seen a theme with the Cup Finals, where there's one team that has a coach that's been there for a little bit, like we saw with Boston and Bruce Cassidy, and of course John Cooper with the Lightning, and then there's been another side where you see interim coaches like Craig Berube. Uh, what we're seeing this year with Dominic Ducharme, and of course last year with Rick Bonus. I mean, do you think that almost kind of speaks to this the unpredictability of this league? That for every idea that you think you might have, like you just never know. Or how would you assess it when it comes to just how teams try to get a handle on coaching with the idea that you just never know how it's going to play out. Yeah, I think you just see you see that parity in our league that uh, it doesn't matter what your regular season, doesn't matter um, what you've done. It's all about that belief and knowing that you know you can win on any given night. And you're seeing that obviously in a team like Montreal, you know the run that they've gone, you know they've gone on it. Um, you know, that's a testament to the coaches with, with whoever, whatever coach it is that does, that does get to the finals is is uh, setting that belief in the team to know that they can win on any given night. And I think, you know, I, I, I think it's just unpredictable, you know, the unpredictability of, like you said, is different coaches every year uh, coming to the finals with different teams. Um, you know, I think it's just, that's our league. Like it's, that's the beauty of it is any team can win on any given night. And, you know, you see the different sports and no, no offense to the other sports, but it's usually the, you know, the favorites every year that are in the finals or the top four teams that are left. And, you know, in the NHL, that, that, that seems to be never the case. Obviously the Lightner and they're one of the favorites, but, you know, every year you're seeing a new team kind of go on a run and, and, and make this you know Cinderella run to the finals. And, um, I just, I just think for me, yes, it's a, you know, different coaches that come in and, and set that belief. But I think at the same time, it's, it, it's just, it's just a parody in our league and how good the league is. And, um, there's really not, there's really not that much of a difference, I guess, uh, between certain teams where it's that close, you know, with, between winning and losing and moving on with, you know, with that parody. You know, you, you you hit the 800 game mark this past season. Did that milestone mean anything to you? Because I mean, like you're you're part of the 03 class. You know, it's it's good. It's it's legendary. You're top 20 in games played from from that group, and you're behind like 15 or 16 like first and second rounders. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of seventh rounders from that from from that group that have played that have played as long as that have played as long as you. So what did that what what did that mean and what's it what's it meant to be part of that group like over the last, you know, whatever, 15, 16, 17 years? Yeah, it, it was meaningful to me. I think just it, it, it it's an accomplishment in itself because, you know, I think um I'm still playing, right? And it shows some longevity and, and um, you know, to be a part of that group, I, I didn't even know that, but uh, to be a part of that group is, is humbling because I, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of the guys in that draft and, you know, I guess you could arguably say that that 03 draft was probably one of the best of all time. And 
um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is, I, I think it's flattering and, you know, but at the same time, I, I don't feel like I'm done. I want to keep playing and uh, I'd like to get to, a, you know, some more milestones and games played. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, uh, you know, kind of feather in my cap and, um, you know, just one of those things where I'm, I'm, uh, I'm humbled to be able to play this long in this league. Yeah. So what's the, what's the off season look like for you as, as far as, you know, I, I know you said you're working out with your skills coach, you know, what's, uh, what, uh, what's the next month kind of look like is on, on your schedule? Yeah, it's, you know, we, it's a, it's kind of a shortened off season. You know, we, right. we got done in June and you're seeing these guys playing in, in, in July in the finals and, and, and camp's going to be back starting again, I think it's September. So middle September. So it's only a couple months. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. So, uh, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's status quo of, uh, same thing every summer is, uh, you know, preparing, working out, training, uh, getting on the ice, uh, doing all those things that, you know, I've done for so long to try and get ready for next season. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still, I still love it. I still love working out and, and doing all those things and getting ready and preparing. Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I I want to keep playing until they rip the skates off me. So uh, we'll see what happens. We gotta we gotta get you to a thousand, man. That's, that's a that's a much that that's a much that's a much nicer round number than eight hundred is. Yeah, it is. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that longevity, I mean, if you could go back and tell the player who debuted for two minutes in the NHL what to look for, what would be that big piece of advice you would give yourself? when you are 22 about, Hey, this is what you're in for. Oh, uh, that's, that is a good question. Um, <laughs> what would I tell myself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I stay I, on, stay, stay on a line with Nick Suzuki for as long as you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think, I think I would tell myself just, and it sounds so cliche, but I think I would, I would tell myself not to take it too serious sometimes i think for me um i'm extremely hard on myself probably to a fault and i I think early in my career um from the ages 22 to 27 in that range i i uh you know i i think when things didn't go well for me it was because i was so hard on myself and i think i just kind of forgot that i needed to um, just have fun and enjoy it, you know, and now that I'm, you know, 36 years old, the last however many years, uh, four or five years have been some, I think some of the most fun hockey I've played in my career. And I, you know, I, I just, I'm just trying to enjoy it and enjoy, enjoy every moment of it. Um, and, and in that sense, I think some of the last, you know, last little while of my career too, some of the best hockey I've played too. So it's, you know, it, it's it, it's no secret it goes hand in hand. So I, I think that would be probably the advice I give myself. That's good advice. That's a that's good advice for everybody. Yeah, Nate, I I, I appreciate your time, man. Have a good uh, have a good rest of the off season, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thanks so much, good, Nate. guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. That was great stuff from Nate, right? Pacific Northwest legend. He played he played for Seattle in, in the in the in the Western League. He's from Alaska. All of that. He was he was the perfect guy to have. He's American, baby, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, it was 
Man, you're a character. No, but to be serious, I mean, like, he's someone that when you sit there and you think about everything he's done in his career, he's sort of this touchstone, for the lack of mm-hmm. a better word, in the sense of, like, he's seen how this league has changed in terms of how young players are viewed in, back then versus how they're viewed now. He's been able to see all these different coaching styles. And not only that, but when you think about, like, the way he's been around certain talents, like Kucherov, like Nick Suzuki, but... Even this, too, as he was explaining Tampa's power play, all you could think about was how everybody runs the 1-3-1. One, one, and you make and people ask these questions. Well, everybody runs the same thing. Then how do people still get goals? And it's like the way he talked about Tampa's system, that's how people get goals in a 1-3-1. One, one. When you have that, like, that's kind of the interesting thing. Is It's like, is it the coach in the system he has? Is it the talent? Is it both? And when you're Tampa, it's like it's literally all of the above. Absolutely. And again, that's good stuff from him on on the Lightning and the Canadians and a whole bunch of other stuff. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We didn't bring this up in our initial bit about the State of the Union address from Gary Bettman, but more bummer news about the NHL's participation or potential non-participation in the 2022 Winter Olympics. Bettman said yesterday there are, quote, real concerns about whether players will participate, and that's because of timing and it's because of COVID-19 stuff. Uh, you know, there's, plen- there's plenty of reasons for them not to do it, I, I, I suppose, but the upshot is that they haven't committed to building an Olympic break into the 21-22 schedule and they don't know and Bedman says it's causing issues and there's concerns and blah, 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 blah. I get it. There's a logical reason for all of this. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. It would be an enormous bummer to have another Winter Olympics go by without NHL participation. World Cup of Hockey just doesn't doesn't scratch the itch. I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm up and I'm upset. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go through another, another four year period without it happening. Cause like I, I've completely lost faith in, in, the, in the NHL's appetite for doing it at all. Really? Like they, they got that taste of, of not, of not having it. And, and I, I think it, it really does feel like they're like, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't worth it. And again, I get it. There's business concerns. There's plenty of reasons not to do it. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. I'm pissed. Let's figure something out. All right, Ryan. What's uh? 
what's new in Seattle, there's always stuff brewing with the Kraken. We got the expansion draft coming. We got plenty of other stuff. What's what's new? What's new in your world? Well, of course, there's what happened last week with the Kraken hiring Dave Hackstall and sort of the the decision behind that. I mean, you're getting someone who had experience in Philadelphia that was an assistant in Toronto. So to see how it's going to work this second time around is going to be interesting. Um, of course, there's the expansion draft and then there's the actual production around the expansion draft, given that ESPN is going to be in town to broadcast. So it's going to be Chris Fowler, Brian Boucher, and Kevin. Yeah, how about that, man? They're bringing out, they're bringing out the big guns for that one. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting to see. And so like one of the things, and you know, we reported this early on, we actually had the exclusive on it was the Kraken are planning along with the NHL to have this thing set up at different events and see like different spots in Seattle. So for example, like, someone throwing a fish at Pike Place because it's something that they want to be like authentically Seattle, but they want it to be recognizable for a larger television audience while also having celebrities with local ties to this. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that works because like people have joked, if you can't get Fraser Crane, why are we doing this? But then you think about like the real life celebrity choices, like you could go get, I mean, for example, Rain Wilson is from here. Joel McHale is from here. Brandy Carlisle is from here. But then it's like there's all sorts of like weird, fun, interesting things like you can do. Like I was talking to someone the other day who was like, why don't they get Squidward from SpongeBob? I mean, come on, think about it. Like, and I'm sure as you could hear it in the background, my cat just came in and meowed. And the cat's just like, look, <laughs> I watch SpongeBob. That's my demographic. If you can get Squidward, like I will go to Climate Pledge. But it's like, you're, you're I just a cat. Hope. No one's driving you anywhere because you're a cat. But now that we've lost <laughs> all credibility with this show, but the reality is this, like to see what they do is going to be interesting because like for them, it is an introduction to the NHL. And not only that, but it's an introduction for a lot of people to the city of Seattle and everything that they've seen. The question is not whether Macklemore will be involved. The question is, is how much? It's almost like an if, <laughs> yeah. because like at this point, you're so used to it because like there's a story our Marcus Thompson did about his golf line not that long ago. He's involved as a minority owner with the Seattle Sounders. He's known for being a Seahawks fan. And of course, my oh my off the heist was a, a song that it, it, it steeps so much in, in Mariners history with that famous, famous call. And so like, that's just it is like, there is so many different pieces there, but then you're like, but this is the Kraken. Like they're known for kind of having like these, wow, they really did that moment. So like who right. would be a surprise person like they would bring? Like, for example, people don't know this. Bob Barker was born in Washington. Like he left at an oh, early man. age. So like if you're them, like go get Bob Barker. Again, if that's even a possibility, go get Quincy Jones. He's from Seattle. His family moved here at an early age. Like, That'd Why be not? that'd be cool. And then yes, of course. I mean, like, if you don't get the likes of a Pearl Jam or a Foo Fighters, like, yeah, there, there, there's some there's a crowd that might not be happy with that. I know you got you got to find some way to. There's got to be like Mike McCready or one of those one of those Pearl Jam guys. You can you could you can work into the mix. I'm just looking at famous people from Seattle now. Kenny G, Come on. University of Washington alum. So, like, when I covered the Huskies. Bring, bring them in. <laughs> like, they're, no joke. So, there was this video, and I urge people to look at it. It was by BCU. Um, I think it was BCU was the credit union on campus. But, like, it had all these famous University of Washington alums singing the fight song. 
And so, like, it was, like, Richard Karn, who was Al from Home Improvement, Julius oh, wow. Weenie, Bill Gates Sr., like, Brock Seward, and one of the people who played it was Kenny G, Kenny G on oh, his man. saxophone. And it's just like, yeah, this slaps. But then when you think about, like, the rest of the state, especially somewhere like Washington State, for example, like, it would make sense to bring someone in there. Like, if you're the Kraken, why wouldn't you try to look at bringing in Old Glory? Like, uh, old Crimson, like, why not have, like, Chris Fowler sit there and be like, oh, look, Old Crimson is literally everywhere. This flag never takes a day off. Like, this isn't even game day, and this flag is here. So it seems like there's the possibility to do a lot. Yeah, we need the Kenny G, Squidward, Macklemore collab. Drop it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Ryan Minutes, it, it's been a blast. I, I appreciate you tagging in here. I know it's probably up to probably up to about 300 degrees in your in your in your home right now so it's 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 tough i'm glad i'm glad you're here though man and i i, I appreciate your time hey no worries thank you so much for having me i i really do appreciate it and of course this is this is the americans ryan clark american sean gentilly american craig Custance in his absence remains american but it's not the only nhl podcast here at the athletic Wednesday is the day for the two minute advantage. That's that's Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBrun. We have a packed one tomorrow. We have we have Dave Haxtell, who Ryan is about to get get to know very very well. And we also have Katie Strang and Rick Westhead from TSN uh, to talk about the Blackhawks sexual assault investigation. So uh, that's a full that's a full day full of full of very important stuff. So I certainly suggest that you listen to that. Um. Also check out our comments section. I know Craig loves Craig loves to pump that up here, and he's right. It's funny. And on on our uh, on on the app, you can go onto our episode page and and leave comments there, complaining about phrases we say too much. Uh, we're gonna have a whiteboard, I think, or some or or some sort of list of things that Craig and I can't say, and we're gonna hit a buzzer whenever whenever one of us says it. I know. Uh, Galaxy Brain is on the list, and at the end of the day, I, I believe those are those are the two inaugural inductees. So, leave comments. We love to see them. Uh, leave leave reviews and ratings on on the Apple Podcast page, even when they're not they're not all that <laughs> all that positive. So, leave it. We'll have some fun. We're gonna we're, we're gonna keep dipping in there and, and talking to some of our favorites. If you're not already a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com/slash/hockey/show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month. Ryan, again, man, I appreciate it. Stay cool up there, and I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon, huh? No, no, you got it. Thanks again for having me. This this was a blast. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Captain America comes back. He'll probably be like, <laughs> you've ruined this empire. I worked hard to build. Me and my beard, because I look like Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. So there you go. There's going to be a fight for the shield, man. Me and, me and you against them. Let's make it happen. Oh, you two can have the shield. I'm just fine chilling out. My, my <laughs> Love it. Thanks again, guys. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>